Welcome to Factor Magri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, industry, the science community, and policymakers to hear their stories and opinions on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. As the clean-up in Hawke's Bay and the Gisborne region continues, it's important to remember the resources farmers and growers need is ongoing and the reality of the dire situation for many is only beginning. The Rural Support Trust and Beef and Lamb are doing a superb job in coordinating ongoing support. If you can help in any way, get in touch with either of those organisations. This week on Factum Agri, Dr Adam Forbes from Forbes Ecology joins me again to discuss the recent flood events and what is needed in terms of land management. Adam joins me now. Hello Adam, thank you for making the time to have a chat today. Hi Angus, you're very welcome. How are things? Very good, thank you. Uh, just uh, finishing off some um, field work for summer, so I've been quite busy, but yeah, it's, it's all going very well, thank you. Good, good. And I gather you've been in Hawke's Bay and parts of the East Coast in the wake of Cyclone Gabriel. Can you tell me what your first impression was when you arrived into the hardest hit areas? Uh, look, it was extremely confronting, Angus, um, just to see acute devastation uh, sites that I've been familiar with for decades, people restoring wetlands, um, doing plantings, absolutely sort of erased from the landscape. Um, uh, you know, houses abandoned, uh, covered in silt, caravans and on hedgerows upside down. It was just uh, like a war scene, really. It was really quite confronting. Mm. As an ecologist, what immediately became evident in terms of destruction? I think um, the scale and the nature and the strength of what's been happening or what happened during that event is... Um, is hard to comprehend. Um, you know the, the volumes and the forces uh, in play are, are clearly enormous. So mm. um, yeah, that was probably my first realization was wow, this is uh, really really um, a powerful big event that's that's occurred here. Mm. There's been a lot said about the damage forestry slash has caused. What do you make of that? I think it's um, it's undeniable. Uh, I think it's probably a bit catchment specific. There'll be other catchments where um, sediment from pasture has also had a, an equal effect, um, you know, such as the Esk Valley, where those upper catchment areas are heavily scarred and uh, there's a huge amount of sediment being deposited on the floodplains. So, yeah, I mean, I think um, both land uses have yielded major problems for the people of Hawke's Bay, Angus. Mm. This event will have a significant impact, not not just on rural and farm communities, but Hawke's Bay and Gisborne as a whole. And you touched on some of the devastation around uh, Silton houses and things and total loss of property. From an ecology perspective, what does the cleanup look like? And are you anticipating long-term damage to ecosystems? I think, yeah, um, I think there would be long-term damage. I don't think much of that's been quantified, but with heavy sediment deposition, uh, ecosystems get swamped and buried and essentially 
lost. So that would be one major ecological effect that would come out from the cyclone. You know, floodplain wetlands, um, even the in-stream environments that are uh, just completely uh, raised and have to somehow reassemble. Um, I guess that's one thing. I think the other thing is I, I really hope that uh, because these are, this isn't the first time these events have happened, of course. Of course, yeah. I think that, you know, what we need to do really seriously is look at how to respond in a manner that actually makes a difference in the future so that we're not in 30 years' time having these same conversations and same uh, um, devastating effects. Mm. So, yeah, I think that's, you know, that needs to be front and centre in terms of what happens next is what I'm saying. So what does that look like in terms of, land management, forestry management, and particularly waste that comes from those activities? Yeah, um, I think that's that's really is a crux matter, uh, land use. And I think if we go back um, in time, the root cause of this these issues is deforestation. And I'm not talking about plantation deforestation, I'm talking about the removal of natural forests from those fragile um, soils and geologies is what I'm referring to and we can't forget that that's really all these issues have come from following that process so I think we need to be looking very carefully at how these uh, how these hills and landscapes are managed and not necessarily just doing land use because that's what we currently do but actually changing significantly in response so one example I guess would be exotic plantation management and I mean how much more evidence do we need to see that uh, clear felling plantations which induces a window of vulnerability between the time the trees are removed and the time that the new plantation attains canopy cover we're talking about a five or six year period of extreme vulnerability to um, you know to landslides and erosion and you know, that's, I don't know how that's sensible in these sites. I think that we need to be looking at different forestry models um, in those locations. And that's probably going to be permanent forest cover, just like what I started with. You know, that's the natural mode of these landscapes. Um, and that may not be necessarily uh, a big commercial crop. Uh, I think we've got a, a lot of uh, development to do in New Zealand with um, alternative forestry models and perhaps other species as well. Um, mm. And, you know, I think you could say some similar things about those pastoral landscapes, which don't stand up well to extreme uh, events like this. And perhaps um, just because they're currently in pasture, you know, maybe they're actually uh, safer and wiser land uses for the, some of those areas that need to be looked into. Mm. Sure. I mean, my thoughts are certainly around right tree in the right place and or the right whatever it is in the right place for that particular land use or what that land can actually take or be used for i don't think there should be a a blanket rule for land use but i do think we have a bit of a forestry or carbon farming catastrophe on our hands and i don't think it's fully being recognized yet forestry in my mind has its place and it works well integrated into a farming model and of course we need forestry to a certain degree and at some level and we are seeing increased biodiversity coming from sheep and beef farmers in particular which I think is encouraging and I've talked a lot about this and talked to much of the science community on that as well but we have a forestry problem on our hands in my view do you think there is a real issue there 
And do you think it needs to be reined in or managed better than it currently is? Are you, are you meaning forestry in general or the carbon farming, Angus? I think carbon farming uh, is certainly part of that, but I think forestry as an industry as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've uh, commented publicly prior about um, the, the, the sort of the plant and leave carbon farming, and I think that that's setting up major problems for future generations um, in a sense that those forests that are planted and the notion that they will replace themselves to be permanent, they have to do that, and that requires particular management to have that regeneration and recruitment and one, one realisation I've come to recently, having dealt with a number of people, is it's probably unrealistic to expect carbon investors to actually be that um, to be that bound to forest management to that to pull that sort of transition off over multiple decades. Uh, that's concern I've got. Um, that's you know they're not necessarily those people. Those investors aren't forest ecologists and possibly not even foresters. They're investors. So. I think that's something we need to bear in mind. Um, and in terms of the forest, yeah, but just on that, yeah, but, though, yeah, yeah, but uh, but those, but and those forests have to be managed. It doesn't matter who's investing in it. There is an operational management aspect to that investment. Uh, people are out there buying land; they are physically planting trees, and they have to be managed, don't they? Oh, that's precisely my point. Um, that's what actually exactly what I'm saying. I'm just saying that. Um, uh, it's essential. It's uh, that that management of those forests is absolutely essential to see uh, regeneration occurring in a, in a sense that you could have a replacement canopy. And that's my very point. Mm. I think that how, how why would we necessarily expect those those people those investors to be that invested in controlling browsers at landscape scales and analysing the forest in terms of the, uh, the the amount of regeneration and what level of management is required. And the thing is, the management topic really goes across most of our forests, not just those transition forests, but yeah. uh, into native forests as well. So, you know, and you mentioned the sheep and beef farmers and the good stuff that they're doing. And I agree, a lot of those people are also grappling with these management issues when the management tasks cross boundaries and you know the neighbors might have a very different view or might, might be absentee or something and it just becomes quite tricky so the forest management topic is a really big one and i think it underpins most forest land use and like if you look at what's happened in tairawhiti uh putting aside the plantations but just getting permanent forest cover is flawed at the moment because there are so many goats there are so many deer uh, there are weed issues and Unless we can address those management issues, we're on shaky ground in terms of having permanent forest. Mm. And I've um, I've spoken to some wonderful people in Tauranga who've been impacted and uh, helping their local communities there. And the forestry slash there has is quite overwhelming and devastating. Do you know who's currently responsible for that slash? No, look, I'm not the right person to answer that. I'm not too sure exactly um, how that works. Yeah, because it appears it doesn't really sort of sit with anyone, which is rather concerning. And that sort of highlights to me what I've just been talking about is that there is very little or, or no forestry management plan for this type of event. Yeah, I guess you could... I guess you could probably class the slash as an externality of the land use, right? Just like mm. perhaps um, bailing roads from logging trucks or um, other aspects of runoff. Uh, I guess that they're just 
are effects that fall outside of the industry is what it seems. Like I say, I'm not an expert in that, but that's perhaps what's happening. Mm. Are you still in the region up there? And will this event lead to new research or flow into other work you're currently doing? Um, I, I've spent quite a bit of time uh, researching how plantation clearfields, how to restore those sites once, you know, once the land's denuded of exotic plantation cover, uh, and also how to transition exotic forests. Um, but I think that, and, and I guess some of that work will continue, but I think that uh, probably the emphasis should be on alternatives, alternative forestry modes, like I said. And mm. um, I think one thing that would be very beneficial for us would be to build a an economic market around native forestry so that uh, we can have permanent continuous cover forests, native forests um, on, on uh, vulnerable sites. And the problem I guess we have at the moment is there's no real um, industry and there's not all the infrastructure and support isn't there to have that. But I think that that's one direction that we need to be moving in because at the moment the native forestry is really uh it's an option that gets used for land that has no other economic use in many senses it's sort mm. of like the default for retirement that gets built mm. um but if we can and i think that an, another forest model needs to be economically competitive because what happens at the moment is pinus radiata wins hands down each time because it's so um, economically viable and on a spreadsheet. So mm. I, I think we need to work on bringing the native forestry up as a, a viable economic mode of forestry and that would be entirely appropriate for these vulnerable sites. Yeah. Have you got any ideas around what that might look like? Um, well, there's been some good work done already. The Tane's Tree Trust uh, uh have been piloting uh, continuous cover forestry in Northland with the Totara, mm. uh, Totara industry. Um, and there's other guidance around continuous cover forestry. I think we are largely at the start line with it. Yeah. So I can't, can't say anything too profound, but yeah, I just yeah. feel that it's something that we really need to be working working on. Um, like, you know, the School of Forestry at University of Canterbury, I'd really love to see the students uh, learning about the ecology of native tree species and that how, how they might be managed in a continuous cover sense that's I th i'm sure a lot of students would light up if they had the opportunity to look at that topic mm. fantastic um, as always thank you very very much for your time today adam thanks very much for having me on the show angus adam is right what more evidence is needed to rein in runoff pollution from trees it's there to be seen by all, and the devastation it leaves in its wake. It's all very well to keep throwing the hammer at the dairy and red meat sectors, but where are the restrictions and liabilities for foresters whose slash can seemingly wreak havoc in communities and wreak livestock grazing country with no consequence? At what point do policymakers accept we have a problem? Well, that time needs to be now. That's all from me this week. Thank you for listening, and catch you next time.